Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy... Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a co-host we can all see and hear. It's Brian Martin. Hello, everybody. And Brian, here we are. The end of the run. Yeah, yeah, the end of season one. Of course, we have previously discussed the season finale, but we're a few weeks removed from that now, and... uh Mm-hmm. I gotta admit, it felt kind of fun to dig back through this season. Yeah, a bit. you let it sink in a little bit, wash over you. Let it do its work, like <laughs> any good Taco Bell meal would. You know, it's <laughs> gotta get in there, do the dirty work. Just get a general feeling about it. You're not as analytical about each and every moment. You exactly. just kind of get an idea of, okay, how did this strike me? How do I feel about what I saw in a more visceral sense, I guess? Yeah, it's more about emotion than it is analytics, for sure, at this point. I also, to be fair, I I was appreciative that the season ended when it did because it gave me a chance to actually watch The Mandalorian, so I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, we could talk about that. Oh, no, we'll be here all night talking about uh, The Mandalorian. Yeah, we just finished that here in my house as well. What a time to be alive. It's all I can say about The Mandalorian is I just like watch that show and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening to me. That this is a thing. What an amazing time. Yeah. Well, I've poured another beverage, polishing off the last of the bottle. Oh, dang, man. Yeah. Wow. You're going to have to get a new one. Well, don't worry. It's it's waiting in the wings. I did all my drinking before I came out. You know, I, I can't remember at this point if I'm supposed to be pro or anti Bud Light, but uh, I, I had a couple. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, I know I'm supposed to not like drinking it. That I've been clear about. (laughs) Yeah. But politically, I don't know where we're at right now this week. So anyway. Well, speaking of where we're at, we got a few things we're going to try and cover. This is our superlatives you talked about, kind of a season wrap up. This is going to be a retrospective on the season. We've got some superlatives to hand out here. It's going to be very exciting. We could call it like the Ziggies. You know, we've got the... (laughs) This is like our season award show. It's the first annual Ziggy Awards. Except we don't know that we necessarily came down with the same award winners for each category. No, absolutely not. I think we probably have different winners in some cases, but not all. So Right. And you and I have not discussed this. We have not. Aside from the categories, we are going to be going through and just reminiscing about the season, discussing our favorite episodes, mm-hmm. our least favorite episodes, mm-hmm. <laughs> changes that have been made to establish canon and how we felt about those, guest characters, fan service, who our season MVP would be. And I've kind of alluded think, to yeah, this, I think, I think you in gave the past that one away. pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. And the best Ben and Addison moment, in addition to giving the season an overall grade. And Nate and I will 
each be doing this on our own. So we'll see how closely we align. feel like it's going to be pretty close. I think it's going to be pretty close. What I hope is that, one, we look back on the, the things that we liked a lot about the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, when it comes to the things we didn't like, we can give people a roadmap in terms of episodes to maybe skip. And then episodes to really, really hone in and focus on. Yeah, because there are some episodes that you can skip. Absolutely. Absolutely some skippable Even episodes. with the season-long storyline, there's some things that you probably don't need to cover. And I tend to wonder whether <laughs> whether we have any audience members out there that hate listen just to argue with me. <laughs> I oh, man, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> I would do with some good hate listeners right now. I did a little bit of gallivanting around the internet over the last week or so to kind of see what other people were saying. And what I've been able to find is a very positive response. You know, a lot of episodes that I really tore into on our podcast, you know, yeah, and things sure, where people sure. are like, wow, we, I love this episode. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I wonder how off the mark I am with my opinions here. But if we can have some conversation about this with people who are out there reviewing the show, I would love to have it. True. Because, yeah, I saw a lot of positive reviews about the finale in particular mm-hmm. in the days and weeks that followed. And I am on record as saying I enjoyed the finale. Yeah. It is a sort of middle of the road episode for me, but I did enjoy it. Right. I wouldn't have gushed over it, I think, quite like some of the folks I saw. But um, but, that was one of the more surprising things that I found because I found similar reactions from people online. And I really, really very surprised by that. And I think I mentioned it at the time, but I'm also very surprised by your reaction, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) That I liked it at all? Yeah, honestly, a little bit. There are several episodes where you mentioned that they're really going to have to pay this off. They're really setting this thing up. Boy, they're really going to have to come up with something. And to me, they didn't. But we'll get there. I feel like we've got enough to cover here that we might be here all night. I wonder how much we're going to spend talking about the finale. Because I got to be honest, not a lot on my list comes from the finale. So okay, (laughs) we may not touch on it. Well, we do have two lists. That's true. That's true. So, oh, yeah. Nate's going to mention the finale. (laughs) I may mention the finale. (laughs) All right. We're going to kick things off here by leading with a positive our top three episodes of the season. Now, we're going to go in reverse order. So, three, two, one, each of us taking a turn to name and talk about these particular episodes. Well, why don't you get us started? Because I'm going to throw a wrench in things right away, and I don't want to get Are us off you? to a bad foot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because I think I am, too. Because number three on my list is the one that I know you wouldn't have put anywhere near your top three. Should I try to guess it? Go ahead. Leap, die, repeat. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, is like... leap, die, repeat. I wanted to get an episode in here that was time travel Like, tells a story that only a time travel show could. Right. Right. And Leap Die Repeat was out of the episodes that really dealt with any sort of time travel physics or consequences. Right. It was the most fun. It set up a central premise very early on. It stuck to it. And it was just a very, very interesting way of peeling the onion, as Benoit Mm -hmm. Blanc might say, and going layer upon layer and figuring out the root cause of the catastrophe that sort of sends this causality loop into motion. Right. For those who don't remember, Leap, Die, Repeat 
was the episode that Nate and I were extremely excited about yeah. after the tease that showed Ben leaping into a military man touring a nuclear facility. I had a lot of fun watching this episode. Yeah. I'm glad that you put it on your list, largely because of the whole season, I feel like there's probably two episodes that we could call were a little divisive between the two of us. Sure, sure. This was one of them. And it's yes. not one that hit my bottom three or anything, but there was enough frustration there for me. I think what ultimately I found that if I watch something and then come up with what I consider a better idea, <laughs> then kind of ruins things a little bit for me. And in talking about it with you, we, you know, we came up with that whole notion of there being five bins in the elevator. And that was, just, <laughs> you know, and that was just. If so anybody wants to get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That just became so interesting to me that it kind of lowered my opinion on the episode a little bit. Yeah. Okay. But, but at one point we were discussing best moments. Like, what if we did a best moments thing? Mm -hmm. And that episode has easily one of the best moments in the show, and that was Addison's reaction to Ben's first death. Oh, absolutely. That was a turning point for that character and a wonderful performance by the actress and a really powerful way to start an episode. And one of the better moments from the season in an episode that, for me, take it or leave it kind of situation. Oh, well, if you want to have fun that doesn't require a glass of bourbon... But you can have both. Are you saying I don't have fun, Brian? <laughs> I think you're implying that I am not a fun individual. <laughs> uh, so leap, die, repeat. That's my number three. Best episode of the season. Nate, I'm going to see if I can guess yours. Okay. I am going to be tough, I think. Maybe. I think it's what a disaster. Well, that's not what I'm going with for number three. Okay. And the reason I say I'm throwing a wrench into this is because... What I feel like is probably my number three is family style. Uh, and I had that pegged for your number two, but okay. Yeah. All right. Well, and here's the thing. I've got that as number three, but I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> what I've got, because the thing that's great about family style is the nostalgia factor and the atmosphere and the feeling that that episode has which is so similar to the original series. Yes. Which is what brings us both to this in the beginning. But when I was really trying to come up with the top three, like which ones were my favorite and which one would I really want to talk about, we were talking about that visceral feeling that you have when things just kind of wash over you. Mm -hmm. And the one that kept climbing the ladder was O Ye of Little Faith. Oh, wow. Okay, and that's that's a surprise. It um, is a surprise. It's a surprise to me even, because when I reach back in my mind, I don't remember if I said many flattering things about it, but I really, at the end of the day, really enjoyed having the podcast about that episode, yeah. some of the things that happened in that episode. I really enjoyed our conversation on that episode. It was episode. a lot of fun. That episode yeah. was another one that I put in this sort of like, it was a fun sort of conceptual kind of thing that happened. And the timing with it being like a Halloween episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like, it was just, it really did scratch an itch. And I get what you mean, like, in it being something that's kind of this feeling that washes over you. 
Yeah. It really stands was, out as unique. Exactly. This is one that had an atmosphere that the other episodes didn't. Oh, yeah. The, it, it was directed by someone is what it yeah, felt like. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, yeah. Seemed, it seemed cinematic in a way that only a few other episodes have. Mm-hmm. Definitely had a different feel. All the characters were a little quirky. And everyone in the episode was interesting enough when they were on screen. And yes, yeah. what I've decided that I really liked about that episode is that this was one where Ben was isolated and he was by himself the entire episode. And that's not to say that I don't like Addison, but it was nice to see him left mm-hmm. to his own devices. And how do I figure out what's going on here without the aid of Ziggy? or the team back in uh, 2022. And it really worked for me. One that has lingered in the back of my mind. So as much as I think family style probably should be number three, I'm going, oh, ye of little faith. I like it. I like it. Yeah, uh, family style was neck and neck for number three for me too. And the only reason it didn't make it was that there's a little bit of plot contrivance at the end of the episode, I felt like, with the food critic and the wedding party that they just like, sure, you can use our event space for your <laughs> pop-up restaurant. It all came together a little too conveniently, but there was so much that worked about the episode that it really was a close contender for number three for me. Yeah, one of my favorite things about that episode is the the gun-toting enforcer oh, God. guy that's yeah. just there for that one scene. Yeah, that it's just so meathead. Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. So but. number two. All right, so now I'm wondering if we're going to get some crossover moving forward, I think. Probably so, so. yeah. My number two, I got to be honest, I was a little bit surprised to find that I was putting it here after everything we've been through, but we dipped back to this episode so much throughout the season. It became an early sort of standard for this show that we were comparing Mm -hmm. every subsequent episode to for much of the season, and that is what a disaster. The first episode of this show that truly felt like Quantum Leap. Right. Well, spoilers, that is also my number two. All right. So So might as well cover it at the same time. Yeah, okay. I figured we'd sync up there. A great episode where the quote-unquote antagonist is environmental and circumstantial. There's not a bad guy in the Mm -hmm. episode, per se, which is always a great angle for Quantum Leap. Because at the end of the day, a Quantum Leap episode is at best, about bringing people together, about finding the best qualities of people. And one of the best things about What a Disaster, other than the guest spot from Jewel State from Flyerfly, <laughs> I'll never get tired of seeing her in anything, right. is that there's no easy out for this family at the end of the episode. The ultimate success of Ben's Leap rests not on bringing the family back together, it just rests on saving the sun and right. that's the best you can do and and sometimes that is the best you can do and that's the best outcome in this it also has the distinction of having i think my favorite reflection leapy reveal in it where you see ben's reflection near the end of the episode when he's embracing his son and that's right. the first time you see the person ben's leaped into the, well, that the, should have been a category, best reflection. The, yeah, the schlub that Ben <laughs> leaped into in that episode. Because remember, he was a schlub. Yeah, having trouble making that trek on foot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It was it was a tough trek. Right, exactly. On the uh, day of the California earthquake there. Yeah. Right, right. That was the first episode where it made me feel like this show could be a quantum leap that I recognized. Mm-hmm. It harkened back enough to what they were doing before. And at that time, what was that? Episode six, maybe? It was the... 
You got that written down somewhere? It was, in fact, the sixth episode of the show. Oh, good yes. guess from me. It was still at a time in the season where I was really expecting this show to try and be the old show. <laughs> yeah. We were doing this podcast, weighing it against what came before and expecting it to meet that mark. And so when this one finally started to have some parallels to what the original show was like, it struck a chord with me and it kind of stuck with me. And you can have your cake and eat it too, maybe. Maybe yeah. you can do episodes like this and, and still stick with their new formula as well. And I think this show had flirted with that up to this point. You had had episodes like Somebody Up There Likes Ben, the boxing episode, even a decent proposal, the bounty hunter episode. Right. Felt kind of like one of those wacky romantic comedy jaunts from yeah. like the original series. But this was the episode that really kind of, ah, you, you got it. You, you kind got of, it this time. Yeah. You captured that aesthetic. Because those um, other ones weren't quite hitting it just off the mark. Primarily the distraction to the episodes that, that were shortening the things that we really wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. this was one that really focused more on what Ben was up to. Addison had a helpful role as a hologram. And it just struck you with the feels, honestly. Obviously, number two for me, number two for you. Top of the line for this show. I don't think number one is going to come as a surprise to no either surprise. of us, uh, anybody who listens to this show. There was one episode that just stood leaps and bounds above everything else we got this season. You almost wanted to stand up and applaud at the end of it. <laughs> like, it was like, wow, that was an incredible hour of television. And of course I'm talking about paging Dr. Song. <laughs> no, <laughs> I am talking. I was going to make that joke, but I didn't know how to deliver it. Yeah. SOS is the episode. I believe is probably Nate's number one. That is absolutely my number one. That is my number one as well. God, um, I mean, just by any reasonable metric, a solid hour of television. I mentioned it when we covered the episode, but the thing that really drives it home for me is that realized I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat yes. leaning forward. Yeah. And the show had not grabbed me like that at any other time. Even episodes that I enjoyed, it was just like, okay, I'm watching television. This one really had me engrossed. I was just so engrossed in this episode to where I was leaning forward on the edge of my seat. You're an actual cliche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. And to elicit that kind of thing from your audience, it was very well written, well directed. And even though the overall narrative ultimately kind of fizzled, that revelation at the end with Walker being Martinez. Yes. I mean, it was just a holy crap moment. It punctuated what was already a great episode. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Martinez because I think that one of the ways this episode benefits is that you don't know what the outcome could be. Mm -hmm. The leap itself is about something that potentially will have global ramifications. Right. For the people in that time period, which I think it was 89. Yeah, it was in the um, 80s. Yeah. And so you're thinking like, what if something goes wrong here? And it impacts something down the line. Because this show has flirted with that idea way more than Quantum Leap in the 90s did. Where, right. you know, something could actually have an impact that we will be able to observe in the future. But you also have the added detail of Addison's father being involved in the leap. And that mm -hmm. could have implications right. in the future. Right. And then you also have 
Martinez showing up. So it's just like everything here, it plays to the best possible outcomes of all of these little time travel things that this show is really focused on playing around with. Right. The what could change, what sort of impacts could Ben have, and how could even the smallest impact set in motion something that has drastic implications for the future. If you're thinking of it in those terms, it has that added effect. But if you just watch it on its own merits, and you're just taking this in like... I don't know, like you went to see Crimson Tide or something, you know? Yeah. Or The Hunt for Red October. It has the exact same sort of feeling. It it, Mm -hmm. it creates the exact same emotion in you, and that tension is real. And man, what a a good episode. While I was jotting this down, you know, I knew it was my number one. SOS was this show being this show. Was Addison's father the one that he was helping? Right. I don't see. It's just, there's just so much going on there that like... I guess maybe the individual that he helped was Addison's father, but the mission was to save the submarine, you know? so He gave Addison's father the ability to save the submarine. It was something that he couldn't do on his own because of his station, right? So could it be Um, that the leap was because he helped her father? And maybe it wasn't the submarine at all. Sometimes you got to trust people to achieve your goals, you know, like the lesson that Ben had to relearn later in the season. (laughs) Right. That's an interesting aspect I don't think we talked about before. The reason I think that the facelessness of the people that are ultimately saved in SOS is fine, as opposed to the airplane episode, Mm -hmm. is that we never meet any of the people on that boat. It's just a thing that happened. Right. And like you've said here, Ben is there to help Addison's father. On that plane, I think I might have mentioned Rube Goldberg, because that's what that whole plot is like. It's like this Rube Goldberg-style plot where, like, oh, it's this thing. Nope, it's not that thing. Whoop, it's this thing. Nope, it's not that thing. Yeah. And it makes less sense for the people on that plane to just be faceless people, because he's spending time around them. We're seeing them in every scene. But instead, you only get a handful of those people on that plane that are of any import. And even then, some of the ones who are played up and time is spent on aren't really all that important after all. It's a little sillier, I think, than what we're dealing with with SOS. And SOS uses the sort of insular nature of being on a battleship Mm -hmm. and having sort of a limited cast of characters to work with to its advantage. Right. Whereas the airplane episode, Friendly Skies, uh, doesn't do that quite so deftly, I think. Yeah. I I don't think we could say enough about that episode. You know, go back and listen to our coverage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just go back and listen to the episode. Yeah. So, uh, like Um, I said, I don't want to rehash too much, but they were able to squeeze some heartfelt moments into that episode as well, not the least of which with Addison and her father. Yes. Oh, man. It just kind of had it all, you know? Yeah. When I think back about it, it was really just the intense nature of the episode that really had you, you know, leaning forward and, and sweaty palms. and It stuff. did its it was, job, uh, man. Yeah. It did its job. All right, so let's talk bottom three. We've spent a lot of time gushing yeah. over our favorites. I'm going to let you lead this off with your number three sure. pick. I do want to take a stab at it. All right. I am going to say Salvation or Bust is your third worst episode of the season. You know what? No, it's not. I just know you were very disappointed by that one. I won't say it wasn't in consideration, but disappointment seemed different than bad. Okay. Because I obviously wanted to see something else, but at the end of the day, 
it's a suitable episode of television. And it did have that big reveal at the end that, like, what? There's yeah, some, yeah. This, this extra leaper? What's yeah, going on one here? Of the, I would say yeah. one of the first mind fucks of this show. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But what actually made the list here, uh, number three, I've done the same thing with my bottom three as I did my top three, which is okay. what is probably the third worst episode in my mind is Fellow Travelers. Is that number three in your list? That's num- that. That's number three, but the one I want to talk about is Judgment Day. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, no, I love it. I love it because number three on my list is Fellow Travelers. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, well, then we can cover right, so a bit. We're going to we... do both. Okay. Yeah, we can do both. Okay. All right, Judgment Day. All right. Yeah, it might be just because this one is most fresh in my mind, but as we said early on, and I heard all these glowing reviews of this episode all across the internet, and it just made me think, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) (laughs) Is it one of those things where it's like, there have been movies or TV shows I've watched that I was like, well, that was fine. And then reviews are like, oh, it's amazing. It's the best thing you've ever seen. And then I hate the thing more. It could be. Because of the good reviews. Like, I will never, and I'm sorry for any of you out there who just love these things, but Uh I don't think I'm ever ever going back to the Snyderverse. And any inclination I might have had to do so has been extinguished tenfold by the ardent fans of that dreck. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I think you probably just lowered our audience by 30%. But 30%. I can deal with 30%. I think I I can, no. Yeah, but I get rid of 20 on the daily. So uh, I understand that feeling. There may be some of that involved with this, but largely as people were talking about how, yes, it's yes, it's very powerful between the two of them. And there are plenty of things that work in this episode, but it spent 17 episodes giving us so many different things that we were guessing at. And all of the things that we talked about, boy... You know, if they're going to do this, boy, they better deliver on it. Mm -hmm. And much ado about nothing. And it just was frustrating in that regard. And then when you really analyze that episode, and I know we did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But things like why the accelerator would be on somebody's side, why they would leap through their old bodies while they fought, why and how... Ian would simultaneously have to upload a code to reset a leap. And why did Martinez not just leap straight there? Why did he have to go through all those other leaps in order to get there? Just too much goes unexplained to a frustrating degree. I understand that it's a personal story and it works as a personal story, but too much of this season for me was pent up in the resolution of who Martinez was what he was supposed to do. Is he good? Is he bad? Sure. And just fell flat. It just kind of fizzles. Yeah. I will tell you, I made references to this throughout the season, I think, and this finale really did remind me of a finale for a season of Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. where all of these disparate elements come back and some of them make sense and some of them don't. It ends up being like a tour through the first season of the show, you know, or whatever season you've just been through. And to an extent, I think that's what this episode accomplishes. Doctor Who has an easier time navigating things like this because it is inherently silly. Even when Doctor Who is serious, 
it is still a very, very silly, ridiculous concept. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. And Quantum Leap has not set itself up similarly in terms of tone and just the potential for wackiness. Especially when I'm thinking of the falling backwards through previous leaps that Martinez and Ben do, that feels like a wacky moment, even though the two are fighting. And it's not supposed to be wacky, though. No, but that is probably, as far as the camera work and stuff, I really loved that sequence. It felt like very disorienting and they like it felt like they were literally falling into leaps. Um, even though, again, it makes absolutely no sense, right? And like none of it makes sense. Yeah, I will concede that point. <laughs> and it also doesn't I also don't think that we drove home as they were doing that. What was he doing to history? I was having that conversation with another friend of mine about this episode, airing these same grievances. And one of the things he pointed out, we talked about it with the salvation and the been interrupted. What was he doing to the results of his leap? Mm -hmm. Was he changing things by being there? One of the things we didn't mention is that he basically ruined Walker's life (laughs) by telling all those people on the bridge, get that man. I am right. Get Walker. And then Walker beat up three senior officers on the bridge. That man is done. Yeah. (laughs) In the military. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's over. He's ruined that person's life. And like, I don't think people are thinking about this when they write the episode. They just thought, what would be cool? This would be cool. Audiences don't think this is cool. Trust me, audiences don't think that hard about this sort of thing. There's no way these two guys are going to (laughs) be sitting here at almost midnight on a Wednesday. (laughs) Sure. I'm with you on that. I can understand why it was disappointing. And I will bring up probably the thing I was most aggravated about as we move through this. Okay. With regards yeah. to the finale. I just don't think it works either. There's too much that's just for convenience sake. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's too much that is just unexplained and like it just happens because it happens. But just so that we don't continue to rehash things that I've already you know complained about, one of the things I thought about, and maybe there's an answer that you can give me, but Ian leaps back to tell Ben to leap to save Addison, does that mean that Ian somehow leaped after Martinez? Or do they remember something from 2018? Or, like, at what point did Ian leap? Ian leaped after Martinez leaped. But at that point, the time travel was so outlawed that the government was sending an official to end time travel. How did Ian... I'm pretty sure the timeline was Martinez leaped, Ian leaped, Ian leaped back, and then they destroyed the accelerator. Right. Ian was able to leap into Dottie, who has no connection to Ben whatsoever. Right. Wouldn't it have made more sense to leap into Addison? We talked about that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So Ian managed to leap into Dottie, get in touch with Ben, and leap back from whence they came, but Martinez and Ben both have to go through some gravity-assisted navigation through time in order to get to the point where they need to get, because, like, it just makes the whole season not work. For me. Yes. Folks, for me. I will say that the whole trajectory, gravity, slingshotting around through time thing never, ever makes sense. 
Yeah. And I think that was the one element both of us thought would never make sense. Right, right. <laughs> so, in all fairness. All so right, fellow well, travelers. Fellow travelers. For me, the reason this ended up in my bottom three was because it is an extraordinarily mediocre episode that absolutely wastes Deborah Ann Wall. To me, there's no greater sin. <laughs> I can't say it absolutely wastes her. But I would have loved what to she see can. her in a better episode. This is just ultimately a very passable and forgettable episode. I don't even know if it's that. I remember when we watched it, it was like notably bad. We were very disappointed with that because that was the one that came back. It was the one right after the hiatus. And we were like, okay, something's coming back. It's January. We've right. been on this winter break and they're going to hit us with something really good because they ended on a really positive note with Stand By Ben. Right. And then that episode was the episode we came back on, and it was like, wow. It was a substantial step down in quality. And I yeah, would say it was disjointed. It didn't. Obviously, it's one of the weakest episodes in the entire season to me. And for, for that to be the thing that we came back from the break on, whew, yeah. That was a rough one. For fans of the original show, I think it also had the distinction of being too similar to Glitter Rock. <laughs> Yeah. Which yeah. was so much better. <laughs> this story has already been done much better. Yeah, Glitter Rock was the Kiss-style episode of the original series. I'm right there with you, and I have fellow travelers written down here as what is probably actually the third worst episode. I'm glad you shook it up a little bit. I shook it up. I I'm interested to see what number two is going to be for you. Do you want to give it a shot, or you want me to just... Uh... <sighs> All right, I I'm going to give it a shot. I didn't know we'd turn this into a game. Yeah, this yeah. is, uh, but this is kind of fun. Um, no, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna guess that it's uh, the pilot. That's absolutely right. Well, because it's it's my number two also. Because yeah. like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, no, nah, it's just the thing that makes sense. We were so lukewarm on that pilot episode. <laughs> you know? I think the pilot episode. Lukewarm is charitable because yeah. we were, I think, still full of high hopes for a Quantum Leap revival. Yes. And yeah. in looking back, it's legitimately not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good pilot, and it's just not a good episode. Not even for this show, which yeah. at that point we were looking at, okay, is this going to be like Quantum Leap? And it's like, well, no, it's not. You can watch that first episode and say, okay, so it's not that quantum leap but is it this quantum leap and now that we've gotten to the end of the season i can't even say that it's this quantum leap no it's just not yeah. it's such a weird fit the pacing of the episode is so off the mark the random characters that just pop in and out the mother and the daughter yeah the motivation in, is so anecdotal the wife has cancer it's just all of this bizarre like it could have just been a heist just make it a heist why do we need all these ancillary things happening you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of if like tommy Wiseau, who made the room directed <laughs> and wrote a pilot for quantum leap 
non sequiturs and characters fading in and out that have relatively little impact on the plot. Nobody's really sure what's going on. The show isn't going to tell you. (laughs) If you're not familiar with what the concept of Quantum Leap is, all you know is that this guy's bouncing around and time traveling. Right. The put right what once went wrong stuff isn't there. And I wonder if it's not the network just wanting something a little more action oriented. You know, it starts with a car chase. There's a bank heist involved. People get shot at, punched, knocked out. There's an arms dealer. There's an explosion at the end. It's not till episode five that he admits to being a pacifist. Right. But in that pilot, he's in a tuxedo, you know, and there's almost like a James Bond feel to it. Right. He adjusts his cufflinks right after he punches somebody in the face or something like that. It's just such a like nobody knows what any of this is yet. We don't know who he is. We don't know what this show is yet. The show doesn't know what it is yet. Yeah, it's one of the worst pilots I think I've ever sat through. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And you say that the show didn't know what it was. I have trouble giving it a pass that way. We talk about comparing it to The Next Generation numerous times over the course of our uh, podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Where Star Trek The Next Generation wasn't sure what it was for about a a season and a half, two seasons. Which back in 87, that was like 65 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Those seasons, like 40 episodes long. (laughs) But the difference is... That that show was entirely episodic. Yes. There wasn't a through line that must have been mapped out when they were working up a show Bible for this show. And granted, they got kind of a wrench thrown in the plans. They got extended. <laughs> they was like, oh, you, we, we get more episodes? We get more now? What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, but... Renewed? The, but, <laughs> but Us? The, <laughs> But as the pilot is airing, they don't have the luxury of not knowing what their show is because they're supposed to have worked out a show long arc. Not only like, that. They need to know what that story is and they like they miss it by a country mile. Yeah, not only that, but but you had the template. You had five seasons of a template. And two, early on, it did not feel like the leaps were the point. Yeah. Right? It felt yeah. like this other story was the point. And that the leaps themselves were just sort of packed on yeah. to this skeleton. You know when paleontologists or whatever find like dinosaur <laughs> bones and then they find them and they're all kind of in the same place and they put them together like they think they go and then they find out, oh, wait, that's a species that never existed. We have the wrong bones <laughs> with everything. Yeah, right. That's what the season ends up feeling like, right? I yeah. mean, as a whole, it's yeah. like somebody took a bunch of bones some of them belong together and some of them don't, but they built this dinosaur skeleton <laughs> and then packed in a bunch of leap crap around it yeah. to make it look like it all belongs together. But you're like, oh, no, wait, a brontosaurus isn't even a real thing anymore. Right. But my point is. <laughs> what a great analogy, Brian. That's <laughs> for all my Jurassic Park fans out there, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but the point is, I think that, yes, they sort of reverse engineered the first half of this entire show from a. Let's have this mystery and then pack stuff around it. And nowhere is that more obvious than that at the first episode. And those early episodes are one of the reasons that that last episode doesn't work because of how heavy those plot lines were. Yeah. It was, hey, pay attention to this. If you didn't even know whether the leap was the B plot, then you're putting a lot of emphasis on what that story is going to be. Yes. And turns yeah. out it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion. 
gonna keep qualifying that as we go. <laughs> All right, so uh, I don't think we have to dance too much around our, our least the favorite episode of the either. season. No, much like SOS, there's a there's a very clear, clear. loser here. Clear bottom. Yeah. That was that was all of us. All of us were the losers this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, the worst episode of the season. Absolutely, paging Doctor Song. Paging Doctor Song, absolutely. What an absolute mess. <laughs> From a top mess to bottom. And, yeah, a mess and just deflating in a way that you wanted to give them a pass for fellow travelers and their follow-up was... Was a worse episode than Was than that. a far worse episode. <laughs> like, oh, you don't think we can do worse? <laughs> well, buckle up, sister. Yeah, hold you know? my beer. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was convoluted. This one was where you used Rube Goldberg. Okay, yes. This was a Rube Goldberg episode because all these disparate patients who had all been on a train together impacted one another in a way that had to really be set up perfectly to but make it didn't all work. Really, it didn't, it it didn't quite work. Right, yeah. And you didn't know what he was really there to do, and everything he did was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you act that way? Yeah, uh, it had maybe one passable moment when he was being empathetic to the man with a big old piece of wood sticking out of his head. <laughs> you know what would have elevated this episode out of my bottom three? Ben walks into the room with Francois Chow from Lost, and he's got that thing lodged in his head. Okay, so Mister, oh my God, and like, <laughs> and that's our introduction to the guy. That would have put it at number four for me. Would have been one of those moments, but. <laughs> Just that alone would elevate God, it. Uh, it's so you know, self-serious, like a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. That's this episode, man. Yeah, like it's, and it contradicts itself in so much as he promised not to ruin Dr. Tompkins' career, and then he threatens the entire hospital, takes hostage of a patient with like a razor blade to their IV bag or some shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it was just what are you writing? Absolutely disqualifying. How as, did as, this... a, as a medical practitioner. <laughs> exactly. Like, how did this make it past the script stage, much less filmed? I feel like if it weren't so complicated, I'd assume it was one that was thrown together to extend the season. It was the one episode of the season that was completely written by uh, chat GPT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, boy, oh boy. That is easily the bottom so at the end of the day here, we've got a shared top episode. We've got a shared bottom episode. And then the two in the middle were also shared. The only variants were in our threes. Yeah, that's... So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so we're moving on here. Uh, we've got a second category that we're going to go into, right, with our Ziggy Awards. I would hazard a guess to say most of the people watching this current run have at least a passing awareness of that original series. Yeah, one would think. If not slavish devotion. Um, and it's that <laughs> slavish devotion that led to the next couple of categories here. The first thing we're going to talk about is the best change made to what we understand as established canon. Nate, what you got? I, I'm well, curious. I had a little bit of trouble with this as I started to really think about it because it's essentially all new canon. There is very little that they keep. So when they True. talk about like best change worst change it's like well what did they keep the same and the answer is nothing there's some updates to mm -hmm. what you could consider head canon but at the end of the day 
becoming very difficult to square this as the same continuity. Sure. Sure. Much less making changes. But nevertheless, this is a category we agreed upon. So what I came up with, and I don't even know if this is a change to canon so much as an exploration of it, which is Magic's explanation of what it feels like to be leaped into. Very good pick. Yeah, I guess that works for the category. I, I wasn't I think 100% it does. certain. But it's definitely the thing I like the most. Yeah, it's. I think it's an extension of canon, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's a further exploration. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, that's really good. And it's a super, super memorable moment early in the show. I think it's one that we were kind of hoping we'd get at some point, but weren't necessarily holding our breaths for. Yeah, kind of waiting for it. Yeah. It's the first time the show really delivered on something for us. And it weaved it into sort of Magic's entire mission statement. Up to that point, he's just a guy from an episode of the original series. But that's the point at which we're like, oh, this kind of became his whole reason for doing everything. And if you didn't know he was a guy from a prior episode, if you're a new viewer and you don't have any knowledge of that prior series, he's just a guy. Yeah. So when this revelation comes to the forefront and he's able to explain that, I don't know. I wonder if it has the same impact on people that didn't watch that original series. Maybe it doesn't have the same impact. But for those of us that are concerned with the change in canon or the effect on canon, you know, I really couldn't think of a better way to describe it. Yeah. Outside of the blackouts that the hosts go through. But even that, as frustrating as it can be, there's potential to do something with that. While this isn't 100% what my writer brain would do, 90% of it is better than I could do. This notion of a, a gentle nudge and opening the door. And, you know, it, it speaks to Sam Beckett a little bit in my head canon now. Yeah. Another leaper might approach it differently. But yeah, it was a powerful moment and it delivered on something that really could have made or broke it. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think Ernie Hudson does a really great job of selling it too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So my uh my pick for best change to canon, I don't know if this is a decision that was made in actual service of the stories or whether it was just an example of the writing team running out of things for the support team to do. <laughs> But the presence of multiple holograms in the imaging chamber and the okay. swapping out of holograms, that's something I think is very, very cool and is an idea that would set this series apart without necessarily bumping up at odds with the original series. Like, we understand that, oh, their brainwaves are synced up or what have you, you know? Right. But, I mean, in a headcanon way, if I need to, I can wrap my brain around this enough. You know, we talked a lot this season about how much we'd rather Ian was the hologram. <laughs> yeah. For multiple reasons, not just because Ian's a great character, but because of the sort of contrast with whatever era Ben exists in. Ian is going to stand out in contrast to that. They've got a very modern look about them. But now we have that opportunity and we have the chance for, yes, for magic to pop in. And we've got the chance for, for better or worse, <laughs> you know, Jen to pop in periodically. <laughs> That's a great way to bring this team into a season two. Yeah, I was fully ready to disagree with you on something. But yeah, this was <laughs> that was one I considered as well. My thought was... If it's a great change or the best change to canon, it would then be 
well, this is better than what was before. And I don't know if it's necessarily better. There's just there's different potential there. Like, the, yes, for me, there's, absolutely. There, there's potential there, and it's different, and it's a way to set this show apart from the original yes. without trying so hard to be something that is completely different from the original, which is a lot of our problems, especially with early episodes in this show, but throughout the whole ongoing mystery element of this show, it's like it's at Mm -hmm. odds. That feels at odds with Quantum Leap as we know it. And this is something that stands to me. This is a quality that could complement Quantum Leap without standing in diametric opposition to it, right? Sure. Yeah, no, it can definitely work, and it can work with the decision to use a full cast rather than just a a player and his partner. Yeah. I like the idea in the original series that Al was really the only one that could be in there and talk to Sam because of the connection the two of them have. Yeah. They share brainwaves. They're best friends. They worked on this project together and decided we can do this, and if we sync up I'll be able to talk to you specifically. So there was really something there about, well, these two are the best of friends. They have a tight relationship, so much so that it's illustrated in the notion that only he can see Al. Yeah. But at the same time, it totally works for what they're doing now. Yeah, for this show, it works. It makes sense. Yeah, and it has a lot of potential, like you were saying, a lot of potential to do some really interesting things. Hell, maybe they'll figure something out for Jen. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So, yeah, not a a bad pick. Not a bad pick. Let's talk worst change to Ganner, least favorite alteration here. Boy, this must have been a tough one. To pick to well, narrow like I down. Said, yeah, like I said, at the everything is a change. Mm-hmm. What I narrowed it down to. Why aren't there and, more white men on this show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna edit that out. <laughs> Worst change to canon. Yeah. No, I tell me if this isn't a real change to canon. Okay. But the control they appear to have using lines of code to target dates and plot trajectories. This kind of lousy gravity-assisted navigation thing goes hand-in-hand with that. You know, the driving force of the original series was that he was lost, and he didn't know who was in control, and they couldn't get a handle on it. Yeah. You know, and you felt like he was a wanderer. This new canon allows Team Quantum Leap to write code into the accelerator that somehow changes... But, like, why can't they retrieve him, you know? Why, why, why can't you just get him back? If you can do all yeah. of this other stuff, like why you is... You can do all these other things. Yeah. Technology has advanced. You've got access to future records now. And Ian's been able to leap and come right back. And it's just not as good to suggest that anybody is in control except for the leaper. Yeah, yeah. I don't like this idea that the machine is in control I don't like this idea that their technology is what's really doing the leaping. At the end of the day, Sam had control over what he decided to do. Right. Yeah. Here, it's more like the program does. I think that's probably my least favorite change. That's a good pick. That's a really good pick. Mine is also machine-based. My least favorite change here is the complete absence of Ziggy's personality. Before we begin the profile scan... I'd like to take this opportunity to express my admiration. I thought we might actually end up with the same one there. That's another one that, yeah, I had it jotted down, really considering that. Like, I can't understand 
why that decision was made. I get to the end of the season and I'm like, I don't know why we made that decision. Right. To just completely forego Ziggy talking or having even not even necessarily talking, but having a personality. An ego. Yes. You see no evidence of that. With a million gigabyte capacity, I'm quite capable of rubbing my tummy, patting my head and doing a trillion floating point operations at once. In my mind, she's still in there somewhere, and she could always just manifest at some point. That's true. But you're 100% right in that it's inexplicable why you wouldn't go that route. The red lights at the end <laughs> of the, the penultimate episode. The what evil did that red mean? lights. Evil red lights. Not to go back to the finale, but we had the whole idea that Ziggy was maybe evil. But she's only evil in the sense that she doesn't forget anything. And she keeps records of everything. Like she's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. And I was listening to some of our old episodes. And when we talked about the evil leapers file being misfiled. And I was like, how do you misfile that report? At the time, our solution was, well, Ziggy is up to something. Right. And she's the one that filed it wrong. But now I don't think that is the case no it doesn't seems like just a clerical error which is dumb yeah yeah (laughs) you know again more plot convenience and just kind of a contrivance and she's not even as attractive as she was in 95 (laughs) (laughs) no no it just looks like as colorful she's not a dome in the ceiling she doesn't shoot any lasers anywhere (laughs) right no it's just like any other computer yeah it's like any other computer good pick brian i agree poor ziggy All right, so let's talk best guest character slash actor. Somebody not in the main cast. Yes. Part of a leap. Did we go with the same person here? (laughs) Just in case, I'm going to throw some honorable mentions out there. Okay, good. Let's let's do those. My first honorable mention is Josh Myers as Percival Gray. Oh, uh, from... uh, Oh, Ye of Little Faith. Oh, Ye of Little Faith, yeah. Good pick, yes. I really enjoyed his kind of wormy personality. Yeah. The way he caved at the end. <laughs> I really enjoyed that performance, and I enjoyed that character, and all of the characters in that episode that got it all the way up to number three for me. Yeah. Just quirky people, and he was my favorite in there. My other honorable mention is Sierra Riley Wilson, who played Leah in Stand By Ben. Yeah! Oh, she was great. There was an innocence about her Mm -hmm. that was really genuine, and she was just so likable. That whole crew was great, and she was the standout among them. Absolutely, yeah, they were all great. But then she became the victim that they had to rescue, Mm -hmm. which wasn't necessarily a damsel in distress situation, but she's the last person you want to get captured and pulled away. yes. Her victimhood does not define her as a character. She doesn't exist solely to be a mark. She is a fully fleshed out character whom you come to like that is then imperiled. (laughs) She's kind of the heart of the group. Yeah. And then that heart gets ripped out. Bravo. Good. Good pull. In lieu of the fact that I think we probably share a number one, I'll pick that as my number one just to... uh, just for the just sake for some of deviant, uh, variance. Yeah, just for some uh, variance, yeah. Don't have to yeah. do that. Don't have to do that. Uh, and and um, best guest character, actor, uh, Alexander Augustine, portrayed by Brendan Routh. Yes? Yes. Number one. Absolutely. Anytime Brendan Routh shows up in anything, you're in for a treat, folks. I was excited to learn that he was going to be playing Addison's father. I had no idea that it was going to end up being the episode. But a large part of the reason it is the episode of this season is because of Brendan Routh and the weight he brings 
to that role, so much of his performance comes down to his eyes and his body language and just his Mm -hmm. what he doesn't say in this episode is just as important as what he does. And I'll tell you, the two scenes that really, really put it over the top for me was the scene where he's speaking to Ben after he's been confined to quarters and he's talking about what happened between him and Addison and his wife. Mm -hmm. And then the absolutely awesome scene at the end where Addison is standing on the bridge talking to Alexander. And of course he can't hear her. Right. But can he? Yeah. But she's kind of putting it all out there. Again, he's doing so much performing physically without doing much. It's such an understated performance, but it just, it's so, so potent. Absolutely great job. We didn't really touch on it when we talked about that episode, but that's a moment that kind of goes back to the original series in that for a second there, you wonder if he can hear her. Yes. Oh, well, maybe in some metaphysical sense, they do hear me. Or, you know, like when Al is dancing with Beth in MIA or numerous examples throughout the original series. Some cases where they could just flat out see kids and 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 dogs and, and monkeys. And crazy folk. And also Charles Rocket (laughs) from that Christmas episode. (laughs) That's right. Scrooges. Yeah. But yeah, so there's some interest in that. But you're right. It was a performance from him that I haven't really seen in anything else that he's portrayed. Yeah. He wasn't the vegan superhero. (laughs) He wasn't the Adam. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't Superman. And each one of those roles bring with it varying degrees of silliness and charm and this is not silly this is not silly brendan routh this is a very deeply emotive brendan routh and now i can't think of a time that i've seen him in a role that was like this either so one of the few characters that we have the potential of seeing again i hope we do i mean we gotta he's got that going for him his story is not over i don't think right right so let's talk next category here in the Ziggies is the most fan servicey moment. I'm going to start here because we've already talked about mine. Oh, okay. And that is the nudge. Okay. The description that Magic gives to Ian in the I want to say fourth episode of the show. Yeah, it was about what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a leap. We talk about SOS kept us on the edge of our seat. Right. Uh, That scene where he's just explaining the whole process, that was where I found myself leaning forward involuntarily. Yeah. It's something. That's another moment. I just, I don't know whether it's a validation or something like that. It's just like a moment I've waited 30 plus years for to hear it explained and to hear it explained so well. You know, so often when we have enough room for headcanon to grow, germinate Mm. and grow into its own thing, whatever we're ultimately provided with lets us down. Right, yeah. I remember when Revenge of the Sith came out. (laughs) Don't we all? There was an interview with Alex Ross in Wizard Magazine. Because Alex Ross, huge Star Wars fan. They asked him what his thought was about Revenge of the Sith, specifically the lightsaber battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan, the climactic lightsaber fight. It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! He said, shit on a bun. And that was his review. And I'm like, That really? (laughs) But it's like he spent his whole life conjuring a far more interesting version of what we saw on screen. Right. From a technical standpoint, I mean, there's a lot to like in that lightsaber fight, I think. But 
at the same time, your headcanon starts to fill things in and what you get on screen is going to disappoint you. This didn't yeah. disappoint me. Magic's description of leaping and being on the receiving end of it didn't disappoint me one bit. It was just like a magic moment. Yeah, and that's a magic moment. Yeah. Is that a pun? That was a deliberate pun. Okay. And I think we should add that as a new segment on the show. <laughs> a magic moment? This magic moment. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a really, really good pick. You're right. We've already discussed it, but you're right. It's a situation where they don't let you down. Yeah. It is interesting for you to pick that, however, because fan service... Fan service isn't necessarily a good thing. Right. So I it, wonder, I had three picks, three potentials, and I... You had some honorable mention to... No, I'm not going to honorable mention anything, because I'm sure one of those three picks is your pick. For All this. right, well, let's find out. But yeah, fan service a lot of times is just like, oh, come on, that's just fan service. And that's right. the route I went. Yes. Early, early on, probably the pilot, this fan service moment that I chose was the holographic image of Sam Beckett that they used to show Scott Bakula to everybody in, I think, episode one. I think it was episode one. It's ridiculous because it's like, hey, we know you all wanted this guy to be in this show. He's not, but here he is. That's a, gr that's a good pick. And the shit of it is, the holographic image that they used is a very recognizable marketing image from the original series. Yes. <laughs> it's like him in that weird jacket that he never wore. Yep. You know, yep. and it's just like, well, Scott Bakula is not going to be a part of this show. Uh, where do we get an image of him? Let's reach back into the archives of NBC Universal. Somebody have a season one DVD we can borrow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Come on, folks. Good, you know? good pick. Good pick. Yeah, that is my... Most fan servicey moment, and not in a good way. <laughs> my runner-ups there, my honorable mentions were Janice's imaging chamber mm. and Al's old hand link, which both kind of go hand in hand. It just that's why I kind of well those cancel each other out, and I was almost positive you were going to bring up the imaging chamber, so I was like, forget it. Yeah, um, if it wasn't such a big letdown, yeah, that's one of my big disappointments on that. Like maybe you and I were building that up bigger than it needed to be. No, it was and the. Like they I think I mentioned never it. Never expected to do anything it, with it. It was the supreme leader Snoke of Quantum Leap. There's been an awakening. Have you felt it? Like I'm just projecting so much onto it. How could it be though? <laughs> yeah. Like how do you use that for two seconds? In what turned out to be my third favorite episode. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think it's fair to say it's Snoke. Yeah, because Snoke was literally everybody projecting on him. And the imaging chamber is such a huge deal. You can't introduce that and have it be a nothing burger. I don't know. Right, exactly. And she uses it to no effect. Like <laughs> She uses it to scare the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. For, inadvertently scare him. and I then... just don't understand how... Any writer putting pen to paper couldn't come up with something creative to use that for. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't serve me at all as a fan service moment. <laughs> Fair enough. It just kind of pisses me off. Fair enough. <laughs> so next up, we've got best Ben and Addison moment. I came up with this category mostly because my opinion of the two of them has shifted so much since the beginning of the season where I very vocally said, I don't buy them as a couple. 
Right. And that changed. So I wanted to give us a chance to kind of look back on those moments. I have three that I narrowed See, it down See, I had to. a lot of trouble coming up with them. I'll say my first thought, and this didn't make my list because it didn't feel like a Ben and Addison moment, but it was that scream in, in Leap, Die, Repeat. Yes, the when Addison finds out Ben count? is dead. Yes, it if, does. It's one of my three. If that counts, then maybe that's mine. But I've got another one here that I ultimately chose. Okay. Because I felt that like that was largely just an Addison moment. I counted that because that was the moment. Where I got it. Okay, was that your number one? Did I just pull it out it of the air? It is not my number one. Okay. You might have to help me out about when this actually occurred. Ooh. But my number one moment was the exchange of, I love you, that's great. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. They gave us what they were really feeling. Yes, you get the impression that this is a person that's happy, not just because he feels the love, but because he remembers he feels the love. Yeah. It's not just realizing it. It's realizing that you had already realized it and forgotten yeah. about it. <laughs> also, it's prior to that moment in Leap, Die, Repeat. So yes, it worked at the time because of the dialogue was so good and Raymond Lee really delivered it. And in retrospect, it becomes my favorite moment. Because at the time, it was still sort of like, yeah, okay, these two. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but I love you. That's great. Yeah. Is a good moment. What was built on top of it really, really lends a lot to it, I think. I don't remember the specific episode that happened to, but it must have been around Stand By Ben. I feel like it might have been What a Disaster. Maybe it was. Disaster? Maybe it was. I just remember Stand By Ben was one where he was actually imperiled there was a chance he was going to die mm -hmm. i don't know it's somewhere in there it's it's somewhere right in that run I it think. happened in this season folks Definitely. i promise and we but, got it uh, narrowed down to like a three-week span and i know it wasn't uh oe of little faith right so that being said it was definitely oe of little faith <laughs> 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 that's a really good pull yeah Mine is quite a bit less romantic, and it was the sequence following Ben getting stabbed mm. by Martinez in Ben Interrupted from the time that he has to claw his way up that ladder, get in the car and lay on the horn. Addison basically talking him through not dying. Sure. And the two of them in the car together as he leaps. That was... Damn, man, that did it for me. Yeah. That was a riveting sequence. The episode is paced in such a way that you think this narrative is just going to keep moving at this same clip. I never thought the last six or seven minutes of this episode were going to basically unfold in real time and have nothing to do with anything that came before it. It's just like, holy shit, Ben's bleeding out. And cauterizing a wound with a cigarette lighter. Yeah. And yeah. Addison walking him through that and the trauma that she's dealing with. <laughs> on all of these leaps yeah. kind of comes to a head there. I thought right. it was a real powerful scene. Yeah, and by that time they were in a relationship, a believable relationship for the audience. Yeah, yeah. All right, so next up, season MVP. This is like the stealth person who, over the course of the season, was the one thing you could always rely on. I feel like we could probably say this one in unison, but maybe I'll be surprised. My pick was Addison. That was my pick as well. 
Yeah. If you had asked me mid-season, I would have said Ian, but... Yeah, I thought about going Ian just because I knew you were going to choose Addison, and I thought, (laughs) you know... At the end of the day, who else is there? I have been very, very vocal, I think, in the last few episodes about how I think Addison is the MVP of this show. Um, And so I think it can take time for a new show to kind of find its true mission statement, figure out what it wants to be when it's a brand new one. I expect more out of my Quantum Leap on a, on day one because we have a template set up. But anyway. Sure. Yeah. But it can right. also take a long time to figure out, like, where is the heart of this show? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the show has quite found its mission statement yet. But I do think that by mid-season that they had figured out that the heart of the show is Addison. And nowhere was that greater than in SOS. That's where it kind of comes into stark contrast for me. But I also want to go back and, and think of, you know, Caitlin Bassett. We've talked about this is like the first acting gig she's had. And right. the moments that she's had as that character throughout this show, it's like, you wouldn't think this is a person who hasn't been doing it for a decade and a half. She's the one that we talked about week to week. Yes. As far as acting. And honestly, she's the one that makes us believe that relationship. Yes. Raymond Lee, love Raymond Lee. Can't say enough about Raymond Lee, but Ben is just kind of the one that's like, oh, I love you. You know, right. I love you, right. Addison. And she's the one that reacts to the loss. She's the one that reacts to his pain. She's the one that acts with frustration of having lost him. She's carrying 75% of that relationship. Ben's having adventures. Back. She's carrying all the trauma and baggage with her. Without being victimized by right. it. Right. Right. She's a strong character, too. She's the one that feels like she should be the hero. She feels like she should be the one in there doing what Ben is doing. Right. That's maybe the most interesting thing about her character that we learned throughout the course of the season was that she was supposed to be the Leaper. I think they mentioned that right away, actually, don't they? Early. I think it was maybe the third episode or something. But what that must feel like for her as well, to actually be in this role that you never anticipated being in. There's a lot that's already there. There's a lot of potential in that character. I mean, she doesn't carry the series on her shoulders, but she lifts it up. Yes. For sure. So next we're going to talk about what character is the one to watch in season two. I'm going to let you start on this. Oh, man. Okay. I'm just going to get out there. The one I picked is Janice Calavici. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. It's because other than being a legacy hire, I don't see any purpose to her remaining (laughs) on the show. So I'll be very, very interested to watch what they come up with to keep her there. Do we know that she's definitely there? I don't. I don't have any idea if she's there or not, no. At the same time, it'd be weird if she just wasn't there at all. True. You know? True. There was a moment where we were almost certain that she would be series regular season two. I think that's probably still the case. I don't know why, necessarily. It feels like it would be redundant. It also feels like it couldn't be left out. She'll come out of the commissary. It's like, somebody ate the last donut, but I'm not going to tell you who it was. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's got to be withholding about like, everything. Like three or four episodes later, you find out it was the doll guy. <laughs> That's right, the doll guy. That's my series MVP. Yeah, the, the, um, the guy yeah. with the dolls in his office, yes. <laughs> we'll see him I, one day. What if the guy with the dolls is just Gushy? It, or, or Gushy's son? Yeah. yeah. At any rate, Janice Calavici, good pick. My pick was actually Jen. 
Oh, wow. Look at you. Yeah. Jen is the character to watch in season two because she has the most to gain and the most to lose. (laughs) Moving forward from here, if they can't figure out something to do with this character, she's totally lost. Yes. And there's got to be something there. I made mention earlier in our season about a Jordy LaForge effect. Like there might be something that they can do with her that makes sense. I don't know what that thing is. Yeah, yeah. But I'm looking forward to figuring out whether they know because she needs something to do there. Absolutely, absolutely. She could end up being one of those characters that's just completely different when season two rolls around and by season four, you're like watching season one again and thinking, what? Maybe she'll get her, Who is maybe she'll get her 2018 yeah. hair back and, and her look. Right? <laughs> well, there's plenty of series where a character from season one is completely different by season four, season five. Sure. I guess they still have time to turn a corner with her or they do more of the same and we just wonder what she's doing there. <laughs> When you told me that she was definitely in season two, I said, okay, well, it's time to find out what they're going to do. Right. Because <laughs> I thought for sure any writer worth their salt would just let that character go and move on. Maybe even just replace her with Janice. But if she's going to be there, let's watch and find out what they do. You better bring her dad back. That's all I can say. <laughs> going to be a lot of talks over housewives and being stuck in an elevator. I- If that's what it is, that's the lost. Yes. So that's why she's my character to watch in season two. Good call. Good call. I'm a bit surprised by that, but good. it all makes sense. All right. So now we're going to assign an overall grade for the season. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, my process here was to go through all 18 episodes and rank them on a scale from (laughs) A to D, assign numerical values to all of those grades. Divide that total score by 18 and then come up with an overall season score based on that. Okay, so you so you ranked them. I didn't rank your them. Favorite. I didn't rank them. I just, okay. I just assigned grades to them all. So, so there's a number of... So every episode has an A, B, C, D grade. Yes. And, and there's C minuses, okay. C pluses, B minuses... And then numerical values assigned to all of those. So did you do it on like a four-point grade scale? Yes. Okay. And then you averaged that out and figured out what the season average was. Yes. Like you were grading a student for the year. Precisely. Precisely. That's what I was doing. See, I just went with my gut. (laughs) Now, if I had gone with my gut, I actually would have ranked this season lower than I did. which Which is the interesting thing. I found out coming out of it, I was like... You know, I feel like there were ultimately more hits than misses. And Interesting. Um, yeah, so. I definitely broke it down into like good, indifferent, outright bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. I had a grade scale there. Was paging Dr. Song in a category? Yeah, that was actually by itself at the unforgivable. bottom. Unforgivable. Yeah. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the only one that I gave a D to. You didn't give that an F? I, there was no Fs on this scale. What's the matter with you? That's, that's the new way give of teaching. somebody an F. We don't give somebody an F because they can't come back from that. <laughs> oh, jeez. That was an F minus. <laughs> okay, so that's your D. And, uh, okay. And then everything else between Paging Dr. Song and SOS ends up somewhere in the C and Bs. 
So what'd you come up with? What was your average? My very scientific method here gave this season overall a B minus. A B minus. Which seems pretty high to me. But B minus is where I ended up. A lot of episodes ended up in the C plus to B minus range. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. B minus overall. I was shocked. I thought it would be a C, but. I'm shocked. That's the numbers. That's meant to... What am I going to do? It's the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have the student come and argue about their grade yeah, and we'll just be like, I'm sorry, so... I can give you extra credit. Would you like the 19th episode? Yeah, those are the numbers. What are you going to do? No. <laughs> wow. That. Gosh, given the way that we've covered this season back and forth, I feel like you've always been the voice for the show. Yes, like you've been lifting it up. Like we talked about me being the villain. <laughs> B minus. That's that's lower than I anticipated. Wow. Okay. All right. I went with um, B minus. Wow. No way. Yeah. Only because of what I perceive the audience to perceive me as. <laughs> So you thought I was you, go- you thought B minus was going to be lower than what I did. <laughs> I honestly did. Wow. Yeah, I thought you were going B plus A minus area. Oh man, it takes a lot to get an A out of me. If SOS is the best you can do, you got to step up the game on these other guys. Like that's uh, that's for me. You know, interesting. Yeah, I feel like had I known you were going to go B minus, I would have gone with my greater feeling was kind of C plus. Okay, I was like at a C plus, and then I thought. You know, I don't know if I can say C plus and also run a podcast about this show. <laughs> <laughs> so gave it the benefit of the doubt, gave it more of a B minus, but it is. It's right there. Since you said B minus, maybe I'll settle closer to a C plus. But yeah, it's right in that middle area. I think this is right because you can see the potential. There's plenty of frustration, but you can see the potential. And the most important thing is that there's a lot of room to grow. And I think this season has demonstrated what works, what doesn't work. And season two is really going to be the proving grounds. Like, did you learn the lessons of season one? And are you applying what you've learned to season two? That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for improvement. And there's room here for growth. This is a decent start. Well, the thing that's most interesting to me is that you preface this with, had you gone with your gut? You thought it would be lower. I thought it would be a C. I thought I was going to go C because I was like, so much of it was just sort of average to me, you know? Yeah. That was before I individually rated each episode and I went through it and I was like, oh, you know, I did like that episode. You know, like Atlantis is a really good example. I'm so far removed from Atlantis now, but I liked that, you know? When I go with my gut, I'm right there at, at a C as well. It really is a roller coaster of ups and downs and ups and downs. And the downs are really low and the peak is really, really high. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that's batting 250. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see more from this team. More meaning I think they can do better. Yes. I look forward to seeing whether that's actually the case. Absolutely. Well, folks, thanks for listening to this awards spectacular. <laughs> Share your thoughts with us. You can email us at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y-Q-L-Pod at gmail.com. Do you still find us on Twitter? We've never had blue checks. (laughs) I'm at Captain Burn, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N. And I'm at Action Nate. And uh, And the the worst change to canon, there's no waiting room. Except the one that we're in. Exactly. We're the only ones with a waiting room, folks. 
You got to come here <laughs> if you want it. Uh, until next time, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And that's where we'll be here in the waiting room. Yeah.